Hey, what's up? Welcome back to the podcast. It's your host, your friend, and your pal, Preston Shuttlesworth, back with you on the podcast after a brief hiatus. Sorry for the podcast being very inconsistent. Um, That's my fault. Also, though, I've been on the road the past few weekends traveling different parts of the United States to preach, and um, so I've been doing a lot of in-person stuff recently, and so the podcast has been lacking, and really there's no excuse for it, I understand. I've been pretty awful at uh, the consistency of these episodes, and so I hope you'll forgive me, but it's going to be a good episode nonetheless. Um, But if you follow me or you've been seeing what I've been doing uh, other than these podcasts, which is mostly what I do, um, have been uh, traveling, had some great opportunities, uh, was in California, that was probably the best week of my life, to be honest with you, it was the biggest open door in my ministry thus far, had the opportunity to travel to San Bernardino, California, uh, and had a great week of revival, made a lot of good friends, I mean, there were miracles in the meetings, uh, many testimonies of people that were healed, I mean, it was just an awesome uh, week. It built every night until the final night, Friday night service that we had. I mean, the building was packed out. I mean, it was full. I think we had over 200 and some odd people in a church. uh, that It's not a mega church by any means, you know, so it was full. It was a great, great week of revival. Um, And I hope some of you from California are are listening right now. I know I met a lot of you there. and, And so shout out to San Bernardino. Love you. There, had a great time there, and then I was in, where was I? Things always blend together when you travel. Where else did I go? I was in Iowa, but was that before or after? Where did I go after? Oh yeah, I went to Indiana, that's what it was. Indiana, not Iowa. I think I did a podcast uh, after I went to Iowa. I don't even remember my memory, you know, most of the time I don't even remember what day of the week it is, and so please forgive me. Uh, if I forget some details of my own life, which is kind of sad. Um, but I was in Indiana, did a service for my friend, Pastor Zach Petrie, who pastors a great church in Markle. Went to Bible school with him. He's a great pastor, a great man. And uh, so that was great. And then going to Ministers and Leaders Conference uh, this upcoming Thursday and Friday and Saturday in Tampa, Florida, uh, where Dr. Rodney Howard Brown Uh, He does many conferences during the year, and this will be the second one I've gone to uh, this year. It's always a great time. Many, many great women and men of God attend those conferences, and so I'm excited to be there, see some friends, and uh, receive from the Holy Ghost in those meetings. And so that's why I'm doing the podcast earlier earlier in the week than I usually do, because I'll be gone. I'll be in Florida uh, this weekend. And so... With all of that out of the way, with all the pleasantries, all the intros, all of the updates of my life and ministry, I want to give you a teaching today that I think will help you. And really, I don't know why. I mean, I, I honestly, I just speak on what the Lord's put on my heart for that time. I, I'm not one of those people that have messages, you know, plugged away in their phone, you know, and they just kind of go to them when they need them. Uh, when I feel led to release a teaching or do an Instagram Live or do a podcast or anything like that, I always um, do it like very last minute because, not because I want to be unprepared, but because I want the word to be fresh. I want it to be something that I really feel in my heart. And so that's why uh, if you have been listening to me for a little while, you know that I was doing a series on mentalities uh, that I believe every Christian should break. And I did a few of them, but I never finished that series. And so today I'm going to continue that series of breaking mentalities. And today I'm going to deal with the mentality of poverty, the mentality of poverty, uh, breaking the mentality of poverty. Poverty is not something that you want to have in your life, of course, but I believe the root cause of poverty is something called a mentality or a mindset of poverty, and that breeds the fruit of poverty being in your life, if that makes sense to you. And so I want to continue that series that I started a while ago. I don't even remember the last time 
I did an episode on these mentalities. I think the last one I may have done may have been complacency, if I remember correctly. And I know you guys really enjoyed those podcasts, and so I apologize for taking a bit of a break in between. And as you know, I've said this, I'm going to develop this eventually into my first book, um, These Seven Mentalities. I'm going to take every audio podcast I've done on all of them and then get them audio transcribed into paper and, um, and then work from that material to create my first book that I think will be very enjoyable and helpful to a lot of people. Um, I'm a good writer, but I've, I've read that the easiest way to start a book is to get all of your thoughts on the subjects on paper through speaking, and then you can work from that material to create uh, your book. And so I'm going to do that and continue this series on these mentalities with poverty today, and let's deal with the poverty mentality. And so I want to begin by going to the Bible. That would be a good thing to do when you're uh, seven minutes into a podcast about uh, Christian things, and you're just not getting to the Bible. But that's all right. I'm glad that we're finally into the Bible and away from me. Amen. Can you say amen? I remember I was in a service one time, and uh, there was um, the preacher was up there, and I thought this was just so silly, to be honest with you. But they said, I'm going to read a verse at the beginning of this teaching this morning just to satisfy all the religious people that are in the audience today, (laughs) and then I'm going to talk for the rest of the time. And I just thought to myself, you know what, um, if uh, being religious means you love the Bible and you want the messages that you hear to be centered and woven through scriptures, then I guess I'm religious. And I guess uh, I'm one of those religious people because I don't want the message to be some guy or some woman's thoughts. I want it to be rooted in the Bible and uh, focused around the scriptures. Amen. And so let's go to the Bible today as we're dealing with the poverty mentality and how to break it and why you should break it also. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. It's a very awesome scripture. I love this scripture. Uh, If I can find it. Verse 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency... In all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. I'm going to read that one more time. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8 in the ESV translation. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things. So understand there, he's not just talking about spiritual things. A lot of times... When uh, people read scriptures about blessing or um, prosperity or the richness of Christ and all these kind of things that the Bible talks about, they'll say, oh, well, you're taking that verse out of context to make it apply to material things or wealth or finances, when really what the Bible's talking about there are the fruits of the Spirit and spiritual glory and riches and wealth and things like this. And so because you're manipulating the scripture to make it sound like it's material. Uh, you're a false teacher. You're um, whatever, false prophet, whatever they call people nowadays. But I want you to see there in that scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, that it says all sufficiency in all things. And I would say that finances are one of the things. Obviously, when it says all things, It means all things. It doesn't mean some of the things. It doesn't mean just spiritual things. It doesn't just mean uh, mental things. It doesn't just mean relational things. It means all things. And guess what? Financial is included in all. And so let's read that, finish the verse there one more time before we continue. Having all sufficiency in all things at all times. And so I'll pause there for a brief moment. At all times as well. So Many times people will teach you this doctrine of seasons of blessing and seasons of lack. And there will be times in your life where things are going well. And then there will be times in your life where all hell's breaking loose and your life is awful and things are going wrong. And, and that's how God works. But 
when you really read the Bible and you understand the covenant that God makes with his people, God has no desire for you to have an up and down life. God is not uh, the roller coaster worker at a, at a circus and he wants your life to be ups and downs and highs and lows and wins and losses and victories and then defeats. No, the word of God is clear that God desires for us, his children, who he's made a covenant with, to go from glory to glory, from victory to victory, and from strength to strength. And you can read Psalm 1, you can read Joshua 1, where the Bible talks about how a righteous person is like a tree. In Psalm 1, you can read this, that's planted by the river, and in every season, it bears fruit. In every season, or you could say at all times. And so, I want you to understand something that God does not desire for you to ever be in lack. And you might ask me, Preston, why would you talk about financial things? Why would you talk about prosperity and poverty to what is generally probably a younger audience that listens to you? Well, because it's important. It's extremely important. You know, poverty and a lack of finances will kill a young person's destiny. Uh, Financial troubles, always thinking about money, always thinking that there'll never be enough, will make you make decisions that will alter your life forever. I mean, think of uh, when you graduate Bible school and you have pressure from maybe family members, pressure from, I don't know, your guidance counselor at your school to apply to secular colleges, get a secular degree, get a business degree, go for something safe that will make you a lot of money because that's the safe option, that's the option that has the most financial security, but you feel called to Bible school, you feel a call to full-time ministry, but because of finances, because of the financial pressure, you're forced to make a decision that you really, in your heart of hearts, did not want to make. And then, because of that, either your entire destiny is thrown away, or you lose a lot of time because you went to a wrong place that God didn't desire for you to go. It wasn't in the plan of God for you to go to the secular university. And then your life is forever altered and changed because of financial stress and financial need. And so to pretend like money doesn't matter to God in church and to have this idea that money is a dirty word and that we shouldn't mention uh, how God feels about finances and how God wants to bless you and me is completely irrational and is something that I believe is holding back the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, many people, when you think of the greatest evangelist that ever lived, many people, the name that will come to mind is the great, great man of God, Billy Graham. And he probably was the greatest evangelist that ever lived. Him and Reinhard Bonnke are probably neck and neck. Uh, But for Americans, people from the United States, Billy Graham is who we think of, and that's because of the impact of his life. I mean, he he packed out Madison Square Garden. He packed out uh, auditoriums and stadiums and fields and places all around the world in the United States. I mean, millions upon millions upon millions of people were saved through this man's ministry. He was a mighty man of God, changed the world. But do you know that... In the present day, even today, if I were to ask you, what ministry takes in the most finances on a year-to-year basis? You might think, oh, well, it's, it's probably Kenneth Copeland. It's probably Jesse Duplantis. It's probably uh, Creflo Dollar. It's probably one of these guys. No, it's not the case. Even though Billy Graham has passed into glory and is in heaven now for, and has been for many years now, His ministry, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, till this day, takes in the most money on a year-to-year basis. And so you might ask me, Preston, why are you talking about, why are you even mentioning this? Well, I'm mentioning it because I want you to see something about the correlation between the impact of someone's life and the financial breakthrough in their life. So you see that a dream from God takes the financial backing of God. You can't, you can't provide food and Bibles and clothing to children in Nicaragua or children in Nigeria or India or somewhere 
without finances. It takes finances to build the kingdom. It takes finances to do great things for God. It takes finances to purchase properties that churches can be built on. It takes finances to send young people that graduate high school to Bible college. It takes finances to play for uh, pay for plane tickets and uh, hotels and, and all the things that uh, ministers need to preach the gospel. It takes money to put on crusades like Reinhard Bonnke did. Those things take hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. And so I'm mentioning that in the beginning part of this podcast to explain to you that finances are important. Finances, money, you know, they say that over 50% of divorces in marriage now are caused by financial issues. You know, the husband spending too much money, the wife spending too much money, uh, debt, whatever it might be. Over 50% of divorces are resulting because of financial issues and problems. And so to pretend like these things don't matter is completely irrational and ridiculous to me. And so that's why I'm talking about this, even to people that I know are generally younger that listen to me. And I know not everyone's younger, but for the most part, teenagers, young adults, people in their early 20s uh, listen to these episodes. And so I think it's important to get this broken, this mentality of poverty, as early as possible so that you can be used to the greatest impact possible. And so, again, see the correlation between financial breakthrough in the impact of someone's life. It will always be there every single time. It takes money to be used in, in the kingdom of God, period. If that offends you, I'm, I, I can't apologize to you because it's true, and we'll see it from the Bible. And so I want to give you, I wrote down here, let me see how many I wrote down. I think it's six. Yeah, it's six. I wrote down six things uh, that a poverty mentality does or what it is because if you don't know what a poverty mentality is you might have it your whole life and never think you do and so I wrote down six things that I would attribute to a poverty mentality and number one this is something that you'll see always with someone that has this mentality number one there is never enough there is never enough so Number one, this is probably the most important thing to understand about this mentality is people that have this mentality have this idea that they have to hoard things. They have to be very uh, frugal with how they operate in finances because there's never enough. And if you do certain things, there won't be enough for this thing. If I give in the offering this Sunday, I won't have enough money for my car payment this month, whatever it is. And so everything they do is full of anxiety, full of pressure, full of stress, full of arguments with their spouse about finances because there's never enough. But something you must understand about God is he is the God of more than enough. He's the God of more than enough. And uh, I, I thought of this analogy. It might be kind of funny, but I think you'll get the idea after I explain it. I wrote down this analogy of two kinds of family dinners in correlation with this idea with poverty about there never being enough. I don't know if you've ever been over to someone's house for dinner. Uh, I'm sure you have. It's a pretty common thing in life. If, there, if you haven't, then uh, you might have to go outside once in a while. But <laughs> if you've ever been over to someone's house for dinner, and uh, the mom, whoever's making the food, whatever it is, they tell everyone that's waiting in the living room, you know, you're waiting for the dinner to be ready. You're just talking, you're watching TV, whatever, just kind of chilling, waiting for the table to be set for dinner and to be called over into the family room or wherever you guys eat, the dining room, so you can eat. There's two kinds of family dinners, and I'll explain this. So here's the first kind. The first kind is once the hosts calls everyone in to eat and says that food's ready, everyone scrambles and runs into the dining room. And as soon as possible, they're filling their plate, overflow, gospel measure, you know. They're packing it on with mashed potatoes and turkey and stuffing and gravy, all this stuff. And they're making sure their plate is full, full, full. 
And they're also making sure that they're first in line, or if not first, as close to the front of the line as possible. Why? Why are they doing this? They're doing it because there's not enough for everybody to have as much as they want. Get this idea in your spirit, and I think this will make sense to you. This is the first kind of family dinner, and this is what I would call a poverty mentality. Because the reason that everyone ran into the kitchen wasn't just because they were hungry, wasn't just because they were tired of waiting. It was because they knew that if they don't get to the front of the line, if they don't fill their plate up first, then there won't be enough for them if they were in the back of the line. And so there will never be enough. There's there's always this pressure that I have to get there. I have to, I have to do something. I have to work extra hard. I have to push people on the ground out of my way to get to the front of this line for dinner because there will never be enough. And I've experienced this. It was weird for me because my family dinners were never like this. I'll explain the different kind of family dinner. And I hope yours is like this. But that's the first kind. Everyone's pushing, everyone's shoving. You know, the person in the back of the line that is upset because there's no more mashed potatoes for them because there wasn't enough food made. And so because there was lack, there was anxiety attached to the lack. And you'll get this in your spirit because I'm not just talking about mashed potatoes today. I'm talking about finances. I'm talking about provision. I'm talking about how God works and how the world works. And this is not how God works, this first analogy of this first kind of family dinner. This is something I want you to break in your life because there's a second kind of family dinner and this is how I grew up. And it was funny because whenever, you know, people come over to our house for dinner or friends come over, uh, it's always very interesting to them because once dinner is ready, there's no pressure from anybody to go to the dinner table, first of all, because we have something called an appetizer table that we put out before dinner is even served. And so we'll have like, all kinds of stuff, everything you can imagine for appetizers on on a table uh, in the living room. And so everyone's eating before dinner's even served. <laughs> and so you're eating, there's plenty, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, shrimp cocktail, There, and that's not alcohol, that just means cocktail sauce and shrimp. But there's, you know, bruschetta, there's uh, deli meat, there's a charcuterie board, there's all this stuff presented on the table before dinner even goes out on the main table in the dining room. And so people are eating in our family before dinner is even ready. (laughs) And so when dinner is finally ready, my mom calls us all in to sit at the table for Thanksgiving. Everybody has to walk over super slow just to sit down at the table. Probably have to unbutton the top button of their pants just so uh, their newfound belly can have some room. (laughs) And there's plenty, plenty for everybody and there's no stress. There's no anxiety about getting a plate because there's so much. Even if the person in the front of the line ate three full plates of food and went back for a fourth, there would be no decrease in the amount of food that would be available to you. Amen. And this is how God works. This is how blessing works. There's not stress attached to the blessing of God. Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow unto it. What do I mean by that? Well, in the world, success and wealth and riches is always attached to the sweat of your brow, to getting a PhD, to working your tail off, to hustling and and having to be a liar, having to be a cheat, having to do things that are uh, unhonest to make the wealth because that's how it works. There's a limited supply in the world. And so what do you see? You see people scrambling like that first family dinner where you have to push your older brother out of the way just to get the amount of food that you want because there's not enough for everyone in the family. And that's a sad, sad thing that people with the mentality of poverty deal with. Number one, there's never enough. They don't give, they never break this poverty thing because they're always thinking, well, I have to hoard, hoard, hoard. I have to, I have to save, save, save. I have to do all these kinds of things because there's not enough. But our God, Jehovah Jireh, get this in your spirit, is a God of more than enough. Our God is the host of the second kind of family dinner 
where there's no stress, you're full, you're satisfied, there's so much you can't even have room in your stomach to take it all in. That's biblical. You think of the prayer of Jabez in the Old Testament, where he asked God, Lord, increase the borders of my habitation. I'll have to lengthen the stakes off to strengthen the cords. You know, where the Bible says, in a different place, that God will pour you out a blessing that's so large that there won't be room enough to contain it. Or you think of, does God fill our cup to halfway? Does God fill our cup to full? No. The Bible says God fills our cup to the full and to the overflow till it's running over, pressed down. Hallelujah. That God wants to bless you to the point where there's so much that you can't even take it in. That you'll have to open up two bank accounts. That you'll have to, you know, start blessing those around you because you can't even take it all in for yourself. Hallelujah. But that's how God works. And it's a sad thing to me that there are so many people around the world in Christianity, young people, that don't understand the heart of God when it comes to provision. God wants to bless you, first of all, because he loves you. He loves you as his own child because you are his own child. You are a joint heir with Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means that everything that belongs to Jesus, a joint inheritance has been made through his blood where you now can receive everything that Christ can receive, that the authority of Christ has now been given to the believer, that you, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, 8, 9, it says that Christ, though he was rich, Yet he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. And so, understand something. God wants to bless you. God wants you to have more than enough. God doesn't want you to stress out and have troubles in your marriage one day because you're fighting with your wife or your husband over how the bills are going to be paid, how the mortgage is going to be paid, uh, the debt from your car loan, the debt from your school loans, whatever it might be. And that's what your life has to be, where finances and money are, are just this weight over your head that weigh you down every single day, that wear you out, that make you uh, abandon the call of God, where now you're a barista at Starbucks, now you're a dentist, whatever, now you're a, a, a bank manager, now you're a construction worker, now you're a barber, whatever it might be, because you couldn't be sustained by the blessing of God in your ministry? Do you think that's God's will for you? Do you think it's God's will for him to call people into full-time ministry and then they have to abandon that idea and that dream because of financial pressure? Do you think that's God's will that people that he wants to raise up in the earth to be mighty deliverers and soul winners and evangelists and pastors and, and missionaries, all of those destinies are cut short because of financial stress? Do you think that's the kind of God that you serve? I mean, come on, God is Jehovah Jireh. God is not a crook. God is not going to order you to do something and then not pay the bill. God pays for what he orders. And if God ordered you and called you into the ministry, God will pay your way. God will cover your bill. God will not just meet the need. He'll go above and beyond and fill your cup to overflow because he's the God of more than enough. Can you say amen? And so I want you to get that in your spirit, that there will always be more than enough. There will always be more than enough because our God is the God of more than enough. Have you ever thought of this? A father, oh, excuse me, a child should look like their father. Wouldn't you agree? You know, I'm my father's son. And so guess what? I'm white because my father's white. I have uh, a nose that looks like his. I have certain features of myself that are very reminiscent of my father and my mother. Why? Because I'm their child. And so in the natural, if that's true, and you, I'm sure many of you could say the same thing about your parents, you share similarities, you look like them, you know, your weird aunt that comes at Thanksgiving that pinches your ear, tells you how much you look like your mom or your dad. <laughs> and so that's something that's true in the natural, that a child will look like their parent, like their father. So if that's true in the natural, think of how that's also 
true in the spiritual. That if God is your father, you should look like your father. And guess what? God, Jehovah, he does not lack any good thing. God is not stressing in heaven about paying the bills to cover the construction of the the streets paved with gold in heaven. <laughs> God's not stressing about the amount of money that went into all the jewels that were placed on the gates, the pearly gates of heaven. You understand that? And so I would love for these people that think that God, you know, wants you to be poor and that poverty is a blessing from heaven. I can't wait to get to heaven and see these people rebuke God for the extravagance and the abundance that God used in designing his kingdom. Where they're like, oh God, you know, why couldn't you have used concrete or dirt to pave the roads in heaven? Why do you have to use pure gold? You know, God, uh, the, the gates look nice and everything, but did you really have to use pearls and these precious gemstones? Couldn't you have used, uh, you know, steel or iron or some sort of more cost-effective material? <laughs> you know, and again... It's, it's this mentality that there will never be enough. That if I am extravagant in one area, there won't be enough in this other area. And again, it's this mentality that if money goes one direction, it won't go this direction. But you have to get it in your mind that there will always be more than enough because our God is a God of more than enough. Hallelujah. The second thing I want you to understand about a poverty mentality is that someone with a poverty mentality they'll always think that opportunities will be limited. What do I mean by that? They have a defeated outlook on their life and they allow poverty to be a destroyer of their destiny. They think that opportunities are very scarce, that people that are successful are only successful because of who their parents were or where they came from or uh, the income bracket they were born into or what skin color they are or what denomination they belong to, or all these kinds of things. They always think that there's not room for them, that they weren't born into the family that they should have been born into, and so they just have to accept their lot in life. They just have to take things for how they are because life is what it is, and we just have to accept it and have this defeated outlook on life. That's something that is strongly attributed to the poverty mindset. And so you have to break that as a child of God. God is your door opener. God is the way maker. If God called you to do something, he'll prepare the way. He'll guide your every step. He'll make it possible for you. Don't think that the situation's impossible, but believe that your God specializes in the impossible and that God is able to do exceedingly and above all that you can ask, think, or even imagine. That's who God is. And so, don't focus. I mean, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but people, they just focus on what's against them. They just focus on the enemy. They focus on the problem. They focus on the hardship of life. But you have to get to a place where you say in your spirit with faith, you say, if God before me, tell me who can be against me. If God is backing me, if God is providing for me, if God is the one that orders my steps and directs my way and opens up the path, then I'm headed to increase. I'm headed to promotion. I'm headed to the best days of my life because God has no intention of taking me backward. God has no intention of taking you to a place of poverty or lack or any sort of sickness or disease. God has a desire to increase you every single day. Proverbs 4 and verse 18, the path of the righteous person is like the breaking of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter until the breaking of day. What does that mean? That means if you've ever been on a porch on a deck or whatever outside during a sunrise, you watch that sunset and you tell me, does the sunrise go up in the sky, then back down, and then zigzag cross a uh, pattern across the sky and do all sorts of crazy movements and then go up in the sky? No. What does it do? It goes up and up and up and shines brighter and brighter and brighter until it's the highest in the sky and it's the fullness of the brightness of day. 
That's what the word of God declares the path of a righteous person is like. And so your destiny is not to have a victory and then go backward. It's not to be blessed and then to be poor. Your destiny is to be great and then to become greater and greater in God, to be blessed more and more, to be increased more and more, to have more influence, more reach, to impact more lives for the gospel and for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That is your destiny as a righteous person or as a righteous man or righteous woman. And so never think and have this idea in your mind that opportunities will always be limited. That is something you have to break when it comes to this mentality of poverty. Number three, the idea that success is temporary and not replicable. What does that mean? That means when you have a poverty mentality, you've probably noticed this with some people that have this idea in their head. They have a strong resentment towards success and successful people. A poverty mentality creates bitter people who criticize everyone who accomplished what they were meant to accomplish. And this is something you have to break in your life and something that's strongly, closely tied to the mentality of poverty. Success is only temporary and it's not replicable. But let me tell you something, it is replicable. The promises of God, the word of God, understand something, God is no respecter of persons. If he does it for one person, if he does it for one family, he'll do it for you and he'll do it for your family. God is not a racist. God doesn't just bless white families and Asian families and then he doesn't want to bless African American families or Hispanic families, no. Those are all lies that are put in people's ears by news media, by uh, commentators, by people in the world, because they want you to always think that the system's against you, that everything's against you, that your life will never change, that you're going to stay in the pit, you're going to stay in this place of, of lack, because that's your lot in life, bow your knee and stick to it and take it, and that is what they want you to deal with as uh, in the world. They don't want you to rise to success. Why? Because they want you attached to their system and they never want you to break free from their system and then link up with God's system. And that's something I didn't really take notes on, but that's something that's so key to the blessing of God. You have to understand that in the world, there are two systems at work, man's system and God's system. And man's system is a system of debt it's a system designed so that by the time you graduate high school, you, you enroll in college, you get in massive debt early on. You, have, you get a car, maybe when you're 17, 18, or around the same time you go to school. So you have, a, you have car debt, you have a student loan debt, you have all these things piling up. And by the time you're 22, get out of, get out of university with a bachelor's degree, you're $90,000 in debt. You have no job opportunities. You have no desire to even get a job in the field that you went to school for. And you feel this pressure to pay off all this debt. And you have no desire to even do the thing that you went to school for. And the world system, man's system, I'm not talking about God's system here. I'm talking about what the world wants to hook you on is a system built on debt. That by the time you're 18 to the time you're 75, they want you paying off the government. They want you to be a slave. They want you to be a borrower and not a lender like the Bible talks about. And what does the Bible say? It says, it says the borrower is always slave to the lender and the rich shall rule over the poor. And so that's something that might be hard to hear, but it's the truth. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. But I pray over your life in Jesus' name that you'll go from the borrower to the lender supernaturally in the name of Jesus. That you'll begin to buy properties to rent out to other people instead of having to pay off your apartment rent every single month. That God, by His power, hallelujah, will give you a complete 180 uh, flip where you go from being the one that has to pay the landlord to you being the landlord. Because that is the desire of God. He wants you to be the lender. 
He wants you to be someone that has wealth, that's able to, maybe you're not called to full-time ministry. Maybe you're called to financially bless and support people that are in the full-time ministry. I'm not sure who's listening to this, but maybe that's what you're called to do. But you can never rise to that place if you have this mentality that success is only temporary and it's not replicable. That God wants to bless some, but he doesn't want to bless you. That God has a desire to give favor and increase in promotion to some, but not to all. That is not true. God does not respect skin color. God doesn't care what the color of your eyes are. God doesn't care what color your hair is. God doesn't care how tall you are, uh, what your nose looks like, whatever it is, what kind of clothes you wear, what, uh, what state you live in. The only thing that God cares about is faith because faith is the only thing that pleases him. And let me tell you something. When your faith says yes, God will never say no. And so you understand, I've said this before, faith is the currency of heaven. And so there are many things made available to you by the word of God, but you can only access them by your faith being active and being used in the transaction of the things that are reserved in heaven for you. And so you have to learn to do that even when you're young. I don't care if you're 13 years old, listen to this. If you're 13, if you're 35, if you're 45, you have to get it in your head that life is not about being attached to man's system. It's about breaking free by the system of seed time and harvest, which I'll mention later on in this podcast, and then linking up with God and then believing God for increase in your life. That is your promise. That is your portion. That is your covenant with God. Can you say amen? You know what? I'm going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 28 just for a moment. This isn't in my notes, but I just feel to go to this because I want to show you something about the covenant of God that he makes with his people. And in, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, it's a very famous scripture, the blessings and the curses. I want to read to you about the blessings because if you never really understand that God wants to bless you and that blessing is something that comes from him, then you won't get what I'm saying today. But in Deuteronomy chapter 28, I'm beginning reading in verse 1. It says, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings, blessings, shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Okay, so from verses 3 uh, to 11, I believe it is, everything I'm going to read is something that the Bible, the Word of God, calls a blessing. Let's read them. Verse 3. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, your children, and the fruit of your ground the things you sow, and the fruit of your cattle, the things that you own, and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed, verse 5, shall be your basket. What's that? That's the things that you keep as a, a vessel to contain what you have, your basket, your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord, hear this, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. Praise God. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Verse 8, the Lord, here, this is the Lord. This is not the blessing of the world. This is not Bill Gates blessing you. This is not Warren Buffett blessing you. This is not Elon Musk blessing you. This is the Lord. The Lord is your source. The Lord is the one performing this covenant in your life. Verse 9, the Lord will establish, or excuse me, verse 8, the Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. Again, going back to 2 Corinthians 9, 8 that we read at the beginning. In all that you undertake, in all things, at all seasons, in every way, the Lord will command the blessing to be upon you. Hallelujah. Verse 9, the Lord will establish you 
as a people holy to himself, as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, and all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your livestock, and in the fruit of your ground, within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. Hallelujah. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the land, the rain, excuse me, to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hands. I love this. And you shall lend, not borrow. Hear that? You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. What's that talking about? That's talking about debt. That's talking about owing money to others. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Praise God. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall only go up. What was I talking about in Proverbs 4.18? The path of the righteous shines brighter and brighter until the fullness of day. You, receive this into your spirit, you shall only go up and never down. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. Praise God. That's a powerful scripture. And you could read the curses in, De in Deuteronomy 28, and many, many, many of them deal with poverty, deal with lack, deal with not being able to provide for your family. And so it's clear to me, I don't know how somebody could read Deuteronomy 28 and then think that poverty is a blessing from God and think that prosperity is a doctrine of a demon and that it's something that will send you to hell if you believe in it. It's completely irrational. It's not in the Bible. I mean, okay, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm kind of going Peyton Manning on you today. What that means is I'm calling audibles. If you don't know what an audible is, just uh, Google it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, because this is a scripture... This is a scripture that many people that um, really dislike this kind of message, they'll go to and say, how, how can you explain this? So let's, try, let's explain it because people don't understand. 1 Timothy chapter 6. These obviously are, are words of Paul written to his son in the faith, Timothy. Um, let's see. Verse. Hmm. Sorry. Verse 3, no wait, yeah, verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, uh, with these we will, we will be content. Verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. So I'm reading this because I want, you to sh I want to show you the verses that they'll use to try to dismiss this whole idea of the blessing of God. Verse 9, they desire to be rich, they fall into uh, snares, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Verse 11, but let's see what it continues reading, because this is a full thought from Paul. This isn't just something that he wrote, and then this next part has nothing to do with it. This is a complete thought from Paul. Paul didn't write his letters and chapters and verses. That happened later on. And so this is all the same thought and the same letter from Paul. Verse 11. But as for you, as for me, as for you, O man of God, O woman of God, verse 11, flee these things 
and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and, f- and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And here's the key verse. As for the rich, so understand something. Paul is writing to people at Timothy's church. He's giving him, he's giving Timothy instruction about the rich people in his church. What does he say? So first of all, you have to understand there are rich people in Timothy's church that Paul is writing to Timothy about. Okay, so there's Christians that are that are rich that are attending and going to Timothy's church. Understand that. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them. So he's saying when you teach to the rich people in your church, because there are rich people in your church, okay? So guess what? Being rich is not a sin because Paul didn't say tell them not to be rich, did he? Watch what he says. Tell them not to be haughty or prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Who, what? who richly provides us with everything to enjoy to the full. I'm going to read that again. That's a key, key thing to get in your spirit in this chapter of 1 Timothy 6. But on God, trust in God, who richly provides, God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy to the full. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, blessed to be a blessing. Verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of what is truly life. Amen. And so people say, well, the Bible says that those that desire to be rich, you know, they pierce themselves with many pangs and God uh, doesn't want you to be rich. That's why he asked the rich young ruler to sell everything he had, give it to the poor because it's impossible for a rich man or woman to enter the kingdom of God. But understand something, that is not at all what Jesus was talking about. Because afterwards, the disciples asked him, they said, okay, Lord, if that's true about how it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, then they asked him a question. They said, then who can who can be saved then? And then watch Jesus' response. Jesus said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And again, it all goes back to this idea of two systems of wealth that exist in the world, man's system and God's system. And so when Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and says that the love of money is the root of all evil, What he's saying is it's evil to trust in wealth. It's evil to trust in the riches of the world. But understand something. There's a different thing you can do. The whole different system, which is what? To put your trust in God. Who what? Who richly provides everything you need for your enjoyment to the full. Hallelujah. Two different systems. The first system, the love of money. That is the root of all evil. The second system, trusting in God who richly provides everything you need for your enjoyment to the full. Two different systems. And so, took a long time on this third point. Maybe I'll I'll make this a two-parter. But don't trust in the riches of the world. Trust in God. And God will give you more than the world could ever dream of giving you. And then... Once you're blessed, what did Paul say? He said, encourage the rich people in your church to give and to be generous and to share with those around them, to bless others. 
to provide, to be someone that can be a financier of the gospel in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so that's clearly something that's in the Bible and something that you can receive uh, from the word of God. And so I want I want to get that in your spirit. And I'm, I'm only at my third thing. I have six and then I had a whole other thing. And we're already close to an hour. So I'm probably going to do like one more point about poverty mentality. And then I'll do a part two to this episode. Um, let's see which one I want to do. Okay, I'll do this one. So the fourth thing that I'm going to deal with today before I close and pray with you. When it comes to the mentality of poverty. It's that people with the mentality of poverty. They believe that any risk should be avoided at any cost, at all costs. Risk should be avoided at all costs. The poverty mentality is a faith killer. And what do I mean by uh, you avoid risk if you have a poverty mentality? What I mean by that is that instead of investing and maybe doubling or tripling your money, people that have a poverty mentality... They stay where they are because they're afraid of losing what they already have. You know, I'm reminded of the parable of the talents and the servants and the master. And you remember the one servant that was afraid, the Bible says. And so he hid his talent in the ground. And then when the time came to return to the master, he dug up his talent and brought back exactly what was given to him. And he was rebuked harshly by the master and was completely dismissed because of how he operated in that talent, how it was given, and how he operated with the talent that was given. And so you see something about the character and the nature of God in that parable when it comes to multiplication. God wants to give more to the one that multiplies the most. God has no interest in decisions made from the standpoint of fear. And people that have the poverty mentality, they take no risk. They have no, um, and when I say risk, what I really mean is they have no urgency in their spirit to launch out by faith with something that God gave them to do. People with a poverty mentality, when they graduate Bible school, they immediately go and get a secular job because they have no aspiration. They have no dream or they have a dream, but it gets choked out because of this mentality of poverty. Poverty is paralysis. Poverty kills your dream. Poverty makes you stand where you are. It makes you stay in the same place your whole life because you can never break out of the place where you are because of financial stress and financial anxiety. And so break this mentality so that you can launch out and step in to your purpose in God. The blessing of God, one of the greatest benefits and things that it does, is the blessing of God gets you moving. Wealth, I would say, one of probably the greatest thing about wealth and financial blessing is it gives you options to do what you really want to do. Because many times you have to make decisions in your life, not because you want to do them, but because you have to make them because of finances. So one of the greatest gifts uh, that comes with the blessing of God and your finances is it opens up doors and gives you options to do what you really feel called to do. You know, you want to uh, launch a, a crusade in an inner city somewhere, uh, but you don't have the money to do it. Well, when you're blessed, now that door has been opened because of the blessing of God. And so that's something I want you to understand in your life uh, when it comes to this mentality that you can receive from the word, that the blessing of God will get you moving in your purpose. It will get you on track. It will accelerate your destiny. But the poverty mentality is a dream crusher. It's a dream crusher. There are people, I mean, there are pastors that are, you know, in their 50s and they have to retire from being the pastor because while pastoring a large church, they have to work a nine to five job Monday to Friday because they never taught on uh, tithing and offering and seed time and harvest. And so because of that, they can't even provide a salary for themselves in a church of probably 300 people. I know 
I'm not just uh, talking smoke. I'm, I've been around these kinds of people. I know people by name that these are their stories, and it's sad. They pastor large churches. They're great pastors. They're great preachers. They have powerful ministries. But because they never broke through in this area, they have to retire 20 years earlier than God really wanted them to retire because of the financial pressure that weighed on them their whole life. And they had to work like a dog the whole week just to get to Sunday to preach. And by the time Sunday rolls around, they're so worn out and tired from their job, they can't even give fully to the ministry. They can't even give fully to their people. And so they have to, you know, have three guest speakers a month and they have to, you know, have plans in the work at 53 to have someone younger and more vibrant to take over. And then 20 years later, that young person will be run down and burnt out because of poverty. And it's sad. It's very sad. Poverty is a dream crusher. Poverty is a faith killer. Poverty will destroy a call of God on someone's life. It will cut someone's call short 25 years because stress is attached to poverty. Anxiety is attached to poverty. But the blessing of God gets you moving and the blessing of God comes stress-free. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and he adds no sorrow unto it. Amen. And so let me pray with you today as we come to an hour on this podcast. And I'm going to do a part two soon. I promise I'll do it soon. A part two to this episode on breaking the mentality of poverty. I hope it blessed you. And uh, you don't have to, but I, I always give the option. You know, I don't want anyone to ever give to my ministry out of pressure or manipulation. Uh, I always want it to be a free will offering that you just feel led to give because you were blessed by the teaching. And so you can give uh, through my website which is my name, uh, PrestonShuttlesworth.com. If you follow me on Instagram, the link to that website, it's in my bio. You can click the drop-down menu uh, on your mobile phone or laptop, and there's a giving section on that website, and then you can give through that method. And also, you can click a box uh, before you sow your seed, and if you'd like to, you can become a monthly partner uh, with my ministry. We have... uh, close to 100 people now uh, that are monthly partners with the ministry helping me tremendously. My, my goal, one of my goals at the beginning of this year was to get 100 monthly partners uh, for the ministry and uh, we're getting very close to that goal. And so if you, if you feel led by God, obviously pray about it and uh, don't feel any pressure. Uh, but if you feel led to partner at any financial level on a monthly basis or six-month basis, Uh, quarterly, yearly, uh, weekly, whatever you want to do, you can do that through my website. And then also, um, if you want to give through Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, uh, different methods like that, I have a graphic uh, that I might share on my Instagram later on where you can see that information. Uh, But I just say that to give you the opportunity because I'll add this at the very end, but you can hear all the teaching on blessing. You can hear all the teaching on financial breakthrough your whole life. But the way you tap into that covenant is through seed time and harvest, sowing into the kingdom of God, sowing into ministries. You know, the Bible says that those that preach the gospel should make their living or their wages by the gospel. And so this is not something that's anti-Bible. This is how Paul operated. This is how the early apostles operated. And so if you feel led to give, uh, I want to give you the opportunity and I want to thank you ahead of time. Uh, for your generosity and for your kindness. I love you. And I love those that don't give as well. Love you as well. Love you just as much. And so just wanted to give you the information before we pray on this uh, conclusion to the podcast today. Father, I thank you for my friends and family that have been listening to this episode. I pray, Father, that the mentality of poverty will be broken over their life in Jesus' name, that it will never be something that holds them back, It will never be something that cuts their purpose short. It will never be something that steals their dream. It will never be something that paralyzes them and makes them unable to move into the greater things that you have planned for them. I thank you, Father, that you're Jehovah Jireh, that you're a blesser, that you're a provider, that you're a door opener, 
You're a way maker that you can make rivers in the desert. You can make ways in the wilderness that, Father, you can do what no man can do, what no business can do, what no woman, no person on this earth can do. But you, Jehovah Jireh, you can do it. And so, God, I thank you that you'll bless every single one of my friends today. And I thank you that the poverty mentality will be broken forever and ever and shall never return. I thank you, God, that you'll raise up Abrahams. You'll raise up people that will be the first one in their family to say enough is enough. I'm receiving the greatest gifts from God. I'm entering in to the next level in God. I'm increasing. I will be victorious over every area in my life. I will be saved. I will be living holy. I will be healed in my body and I will be blessed financially. And I will be moving with acceleration in my purpose in this final hour of time before Jesus returns. I pray this in the name of Jesus over my friends. And everyone said amen. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the end if you did. And I'll be back very soon. I'll be in Tampa Thursday and Friday. If you want to come see me, if you'll be there. If you if you are, come see me. Come shake my hand. I'd love to see you. I'd love to talk with you. And uh, until next time, I want you to know that I love you, God loves you, and I'll talk to you very, very soon. See you guys.